You guys ready for a study in the book of Philippians this morning? Take your Bibles, if you would, Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to continue our study entitled, what is it? Joyride. Understanding the joy of the Lord is our strength, Paul writes, uh, with great joy in his heart, even though he himself faces uh, persecution and possible martyrdom and death uh, as he is under house arrest. Uh, during chapter 2, so if you're new with us here, we're, we're going kind of verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, if you will, through the book of Philippians as our summer study. So in chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12, but we've uh, the first part of chapter 2, Paul has been talking to the Philippian Christians, in the, the Christians, the church in the city of Philippi, about the... Uh, idea of unity in uh, the body of Christ. And apparently there's some, some disunity taking place, some discord that's taking place among them. Uh, one, there's great persecution. They're living under hardship. But then there seems to be some, some inward struggles going on within that church. And so he writes about unity, and he, he begins by talking about being unified in, in one mind, being like-minded, that you're, you're together. You're here because of Christ. You're here in Christ. You're here serving Christ together be like-minded. And he says to help us with that, then he goes into where we were last week and he talks about the humility of Jesus. And he says, you should have the same attitude Jesus had, that even though he was God, he didn't use that to his advantage. He didn't play the God card. He humbled himself and became obedient as a servant to the point of death, even, Paul says, death on a cross. And he says, therefore, God exalted because of his obedience and humility. God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name, Paul says, it is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul is talking about humility. He's talking about being like-minded. And this morning, he picks up in verse number 12, and I'd like us to to go there for a moment right now. We're just going to kind of go through these verses 12 through 16. And Paul says, now in light of all of that, he says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. Paul is saying, because of what Jesus did, humbling himself and becoming a servant, and because he has been glorified, because he was obedient to death, we should do this. This is how we should respond. He says, therefore, that means because of. So Paul goes on then and he says, because of what Jesus has done, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. So Paul says, in, in light of what Jesus has done, work out your salvation. And he's, he's working on them to be of a like mind uh, in this area of, of agreeing together about who Christ is, what Christ has done. Uh, Paul is so big on this thing of unity that even in chapter 4, we will eventually get there unless Jesus comes back first. And at the rate we're going, he might actually arrive before we get to chapter 4. But in chapter 4, Paul even... Uh, he confronts, he calls out two women in the church in Philippi and says, hey, tell these ladies to start getting along. Tell them to start working these things out. Paul is big on this idea of unity because it is that atmosphere we saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus can move powerfully, that he can bring the revival that our nation and that our world needs when his body is 
unified together. So Paul is big on that. So he says here, therefore, you need, in light of what Christ has done in saving you, you need to work out your salvation. Now, I want you to, to keep in mind, Jesus is not talking about working for, I mean, Paul is not talking about working for your salvation. You know, and you hear me say it quite regularly, that we do not earn our salvation. We do not do good works in order to be saved from our sins so we can go to heaven. We are saved by grace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I want you to look at that with me for just a moment. Verse 8 and 9, I'd like us to actually read it out loud together if we could. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, together, here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's by grace we've been saved. We have been forgiven of our sin because of God's gift to us. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. And God is both merciful and gracious. He withholds what we do deserve and he gives us freely what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of our sin as Jesus, his son, paid the price for our sin with his own shed blood. So Paul says, in light of what Christ has done, you need to work out your salvation. Don't work for your salvation, but work it out. That word work out is really just, uh, it's one word in the, in the Greek original language. And, and it means to, to carry it to a completion. It means now that you're saved, carry out to completion this work of salvation that is in you. So, show of hands, how many of you have ever started a project... And it still remains unfinished. Okay? I've got a garage full of projects that still remain unfinished. I've got a project I just started this week that still remains unfinished, and I don't see any future <laughs> just yet. I haven't got a vision to finish. But that word, work out, literally means to carry it to a completion. Let the work that Jesus has done for you and in you, let it be brought to its completion. Don't stop the process. Don't pull away. Don't back away. Stay in with Jesus. Let the work of your salvation be completed. Now, to help us understand this a little better, I want us to go back for the last two summers prior 2018, 2019, we did a study through the book of Romans. And it, I, you probably don't recall all of this because there was a whole lot of stuff to cover in the book of Romans. That's why it took two summers. But we talked about salvation, and Romans identifies three parts to your salvation experience in Christ. And I, I want to review those just real quickly so you understand what it is to work out your salvation. The, the, the three parts of this, one is salvation. Two is sanctification, and the third one is glorification. Romans talks all about that. But salvation, salvation is that instantaneous moment when in faith you reach to Jesus with a repentant heart to receive his gift of grace for you. That's an instantaneous. If you prayed that at an altar, if you prayed it sitting in a chair, if you prayed it at home in the living room, if you prayed it in your car, wherever you were in that moment because of your faith in Christ and you didn't work for that salvation, Jesus did all the work. You're just putting your faith in him and you're connecting now to his forgiveness. You were as saved as you will ever be in that moment. 
if you're driving in your car and in the next moment you have an accident and you leave from this earth, you will enter into the presence of Jesus and your heavenly Father for all of eternity because that is the gift of grace given to you. Salvation is instantaneous. But then Romans also talks about, Paul talks about this idea of sanctification. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit's continual activity in you. See, when you had the salvation moment, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised would be sent to you, came to take up residence inside your heart. He brought the presence of Jesus down into you. He not only filled you, but he baptizes you with his presence. And daily now, Paul would tell us in other writings that we are to be led by the Spirit. We are to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. We are told not to quench the Holy Spirit. We are told to have a relationship now with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. By the way, the Holy Spirit is person. He is a he. He is not an it. He is person. He can be grieved. He has joy. He is Jesus living in you. And so daily he is working our salvation in us so that we remain in that posture in that position of salvation in Christ. And then the third one is glorification. Glorification is where there's a day coming, whether we go by way of the grave or way of the rapture, one way or the other, we land because of our forgiveness of sin and the gift of grace. We land in the presence of Jesus and our heavenly father to dwell with him, them in eternity forever. And we will have glorified existence. So that's future. So we're saved in a moment's time, just like that. Nothing you do, no calisthenics, no, no exercise, no work that you can do for that. You have faith, you believe, you're born again. Now you're in the process daily of being transformed because one day we're going to be in his presence forever in a glorified posture glorified existence. So that's the, the three parts of how salvation, your salvation experience works. And, and this idea, Paul says, of working out your salvation, that's the sanctification part. That's the part where the Holy Spirit has come into you and he has set you apart. And so daily the Holy Spirit is working the work of Jesus inside of you. He's changing the way you think. He's changing the attitudes of your heart from what they once were. He's changing even your want-tos and your, your desires and motives. He's working change daily in you to make you more like Jesus, the scriptures tell us. And so to work out your salvation means live like the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Live out what the Holy Spirit is doing daily within you. Being a responsible Christian, and that is the title this morning, The Joy of Responsibility. You know, when, when we think of responsibility, we, we, uh, we think of maturity. You, uh, you may have had teenagers at some point that came to you and said, Hey, I, I need the keys to the car. And if they haven't been very responsible in other ways, you're going to be a little reluctant to toss the keys their way because that requires greater responsibility. Responsibility has to be do with maturity. Are they mature enough to handle the, the 
sensitive nature of driving an automobile in, in traffic uh, and being responsible and mature enough for that. So we're talking about the responsibility of followers of Christ this morning in our generation. And so Paul says, live, live out your salvation. If you're going to be a responsible, mature Christian, live out your salvation. Now let's pick up in verse number 13. He goes on now and he says, work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, he's saying, look, work out your salvation because God's actually working in you. We talked about that for a moment, that the Holy Spirit is, is working in you. And he's causing you to want to do God's will. You see, before you came to Christ and repentance and received Christ into your heart, you wanted to do what you wanted to do, which was always against what God wanted because that's the sin nature. But now that you've come to Christ, there's a new nature. It's the spirit nature now living inside of you. And he's working in you to want to do the things God expects of you as a responsible citizen of heaven. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are already citizens of heaven. When we're saved, the expectation is that our lives uh, will change. Our desires and our attitudes and our thought processes have to be changed from the old self-centered sin nature way of thinking to the spirit nature. And so he's constantly at work in that, and it's God. So, so when, when, when Paul says, look, work out your salvation, then he says, but, but just so you'll know, uh, you have help. You have great help. You have the Holy Spirit in fullness in you. And remember when Jesus told the disciples before the Holy Spirit came, he said to them, he said, uh, I will ask the Father for another counselor or another helper. So that's it. That's what Jesus was acknowledging. And Paul says, that's what's now happened. You're saved and forgiven of your sin. And daily, he is helping you. He has sent his Holy Spirit to help you live out. You say, man, you know, I just can't stop this or I just can't stop that. Or, man, pastor, I'm just, uh, it's just my nature. Well, you, you're, not, you're not letting the Holy Spirit work something out in you then if if it's contrary to the nature of Christ. It's not just who you are because you've now been born again. So Paul says, look, as a responsible, mature citizen of heaven, let the Holy Spirit work in you. Be obedient to what he's doing and how he's moving in you. So while you're working out your salvation, Jesus is working it in you. He's already working it as you work it out. So Paul says, he gives you this strength. That word works there when he says um, that uh, it is the Father, or it is God who works in you. That word works is uh, the word energeo, pronounced, well, <laughs> that's the southern version of the original Greek language. But it really is energeo. It's where we get the word energize. What he's saying is it is the Father who has energized you to live out this salvation. He would go on to say, in the middle of a depraved, crooked generation. 
where everything's fighting against your salvation, where everything is fighting against your faith in Christ, where everything is fighting to grab your attitude and your attention and your motives and your desires, Jesus is energizing you to stand in his salvation. You're not alone in COVID-19, my friends. I know, I know. We hear it all the time. We're in it together. You'll probably get tired of hearing that. But I'm going to tell you, you are in it with Jesus. You are in it with Jesus. And I know that every scientist seems to have a different theory. Every medical official has a different theory. Every politician has a different theory. Every, every group has a separate theory and whatever. But I will tell you this. Your hope is in Jesus. And whether masks work or don't work, Jesus is working in you. Whether, uh, whether it, it, it results in this or this, Jesus is at work in you. No matter what's happening with the civil unrest around us, whatever side you, you may tend to want to fall to or whatever, it, Jesus is working in you. He is here working out his salvation in you that you may live it out in this crooked and depraved generation. As a mature, responsible Christian, that is, that is our approach. So it is the Lord who empowers you as a mature believer to live out your salvation. Notice Ephesians 3, verse 20. Again, Paul writing. I want us to read this one together as well out loud. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, watch this, according to his power that is at work within us. God is working in you through his Holy Spirit. And he's doing more in you than you can even ask, think, or imagine. You feel worn down and weary with all the chaos around you, but what you don't see happening is God is doing something on the inside of you. But where you feel weary, if you will stop and wait upon the Lord, you will recognize his strength. He's working in us in order that he can live through us, working out our salvation. Now, we're going to pick up in verses 14, 15, and 16. And here Paul gets very practical with some application. So I want us to, to see three truths that he gives us here about mature followers of Christ. The responsibility we have in our generation now because Christ is exalted at the right hand of the Father. Because we are working out our salvation as he works it in us. Now this is how, this is how we live it out. So we pick up in verse number 14, and Paul writes, and he says this, Do everything, how much? Everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, that word grumbling can also be translated, in some translations, it's the word complain. Do everything without complaining, grumbling, or arguing. So watch what he says here. Let me, let me give you this first application. Number one, you're responsible to live cheerful, in this unhappy world. You know, unhappiness, grumbling and complaining, it's contagious. Man, I, I just Friday night spoke with one of the members of our church here that was at the, the movie night, and she said, you know, she said, I gave up social media. 
is it was just draining me. It was wearing me down. And all the, you know, the, the complaining and the arguing that was taking place between friends and family members, she just, it was, it was wearing her out. It's contagious. So Paul says, look, as mature believers, the first thing you got to do is you don't get the luxury of complaining and arguing. He says, you have a responsibility to live cheerful, to live with the joy of the Lord. He says, do everything. He says, do, he says, he says, do, do your work without complaining. Do your, do your banking without complaining. Do your husband duties as, without complaining. Do your wifely duties without complaining. Do your parent duties without complaining. He says, in everything. Maybe in our generation it would be this. Do your posting without complaining. Do your tweeting or twitting. Tweeting, tweeting, tweet, tweeter, Twitter. What, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Do it without complaining. He says, in everything you do, do it without complaining. That also means that as the body of Christ, unified, we do our worship and our serving of the Lord together without complaining. Let me give you the... Uh, a breakdown of this word complaining. It's, it's two words combined together. Com, plain. You know what it tells me when I look at that? It's common. Complaining, grumbling, finding something wrong with everything is common. And it's plain. You know why it's plain? Because everybody does it. And everybody will do it. So when I, as a responsible follower of Christ, get caught up with everybody else, get caught up with the masses complaining, I'm just on a common plane with everybody else. But that is not who Jesus made me to be. That's not the price he paid on the cross for me to be anymore. He is exalted and at the right hand of the Father. He has made me a citizen of the heaven of God. He has made me renewed. He has made me a child of God, called by the name of God. He has made me an heir to the throne of his kingdom. I am not common plain. Because he's been exalted to the highest place and given the name that's above every name. And he gave me his name by his grace. So I don't get the luxury of being common plain. No, 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 no. Saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, friend, you are set above. We'll look at it in a moment, but Jesus says, you're a city on a hill. A light that shines in a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's the church. And in a dark, depraved world right now, what the church needs is a light. I mean, what the world needs is light. But if we're just common playing with everybody else, there's no, there's no hope for them there. So Paul says, look, do everything you do without complaining. That word arguing right there means instigating. We all know some folks that uh, they like to just bring things up for the sole purpose of stirring things up. And that's why Paul's saying, look, don't be that person. That's not a mature, responsible follower of Christ. Oh, Jesus stirred things up. 
but he stirred it up with truth. He didn't stir it up just to create conflict. He just came saying, look, here's how, here's how it is in my father's kingdom. And it stirred things up for people who couldn't receive it. So Paul says, do it without complaint. Let me tell you two dangers when saints have complaints. And there, there's, there's a process. Paul or Jesus talks about a process. When you, when you have disagreement, Matthew 18, you, you go and you, you do in a mature fashion. You talk and you, you work things out. But, but when, when saints are just filled with this spirit of the world of complaining, there's two things that happen. One, it spreads. It spreads like the virus. Well, uh, let me just say that it probably spreads faster than the virus. When you complain about something in your house, you're having dinner and you start complaining about this house too small, this house too whatever, you watch. Soon your kids are going to start complaining about something in the house. You're going to find your spouse thinking, wow, you know what? This house really... And they're going to start complaining. Watch... Uh, Watch social media. You're, you're just thumbing through Facebook, and, man, you're happy with the way uh, glazed donuts are done. And somebody posts about how they hate glazed donuts because whatever. Now, that's a little facetious. But, and you've always loved glazed donuts, but now you question. Really? I, my, I've always thought glazed donuts were the best thing since sliced bread. And, and maybe they're even complaining about sliced bread, and now you're questioning. That's how complaining works, does it not? You're perfectly fine with it, but then all of a sudden you start having some thoughts because of somebody else's common, plain attitude. Paul says, you got to deal with it. You don't get that, that luxury. So it spreads to others, but here, here's the biggest danger when saints live with an attitude of complaints. It stifles the activity of God. Look at the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When they came out of the land of Egypt, God miraculously delivered them, gave all the spoils of the land of Egypt to them, and within a few days of freedom, they start complaining. They complained that there was no water. First, they complained that there was a sea in front of them. We should have just died in Egypt, they said. Then they complained that there was no food. We should have just stayed in Egypt and died there. Then they complained there was no water. We should have just stayed in Egypt. They complained, they, complained, they complained that there were giants in the land. Now think about that. There's over 2 million Israelites in Numbers chapter 13 waiting to go into the promised land. 12 spies come back and 10 of them out of 2 million say, you know what? Ugh, there's giants in the land. We, we, we just can't do it. And every, it says in the scriptures there, everyone said we can't go. They were in agreement with what 10 common plainers thought about it. And you know what the scripture tells us in more than one place? It tells us this in Numbers, tells us this in Psalms, and then the writers of the New Testament even go back to it. Israel, that generation of Israelites were known for their common plaining attitude. 
And it says in Numbers that God judged them for their complaining. Because you know what? They were complaining to Moses and they were complaining about Moses. He brought us out and now we're all going to die. And, and the reality is God says right there in the book of Numbers, he says, they have complained against me. Now let me, let me show you something here. Let this get down into your, to your heart this morning. Do you believe the scriptures when it says in Psalms that the steps of a righteous man or woman have been ordered by God? To say our steps are ordered of God means that he in his sovereignty and in his, his divine nature and in his incredible faithful love for us moves us to his purposes. And if I'm complaining about where I am, I'm not trusting God's sovereignty over my life. I'm questioning. I'm questioning God's sovereignty. I'm in essence saying, you know what, I don't like this job. And what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you to help me. I don't trust you enough to see what you're doing in me. I don't like this marriage. What you're saying is, God, I, I don't trust you to change it. That's what my common complaining is. It's a lack of trust. So when I complain, I'm not complaining about a boss. I'm not complaining about a spouse. I'm complaining about God's sovereignty over my life. And God, what we're saying is, God, I just don't like it. I don't like what you're doing here. And God judges it. That generation of Israel is known, not for their great heroic feats. They went down in history as the generation who complained against God. My, oh my, may we not be a new generation that goes down in the books of heaven as having been a generation that complained. So Paul says, live cheerful, live cheerful, step up, step up and let the joy of the Lord strengthen you. Do away with the complaining and the instigating of the arguing. Then verse number 15, notice what he says. He says, do that, do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Notice this, in a warped and crooked generation. Some, sometimes they say a depraved and crooked generation. So that you may become blameless and pure. Complaining is going to open us back up to the old sin nature. Paul says, don't argue, don't complain, don't grumble. It's going to open yourself back up. He says, don't do those things so that you, in the middle of a crazy, messed up world, can be pure, can be without fault. So the second truth then, the first one is responsible to, to live cheerful in an unhappy world. The second one is this. You and I as mature believers are responsible to live straight in a crooked world. Blameless means to be without fault. It means to live with integrity, pure. To be pure in this generation means not to be mixed with the, the, the world uh, wisdom, not to be mixed with the, the world's value systems, not to think like the world thinks. Not to get caught up in the, what the world is caught up in. To be pure means to be unmixed. Our generation 
that we live in, as every generation has been since Adam and Eve, is a perverse, depraved, dark generation. Now, what we are experiencing is the tangible expression of that in, in unreal ways, in new ways, in, in uh, ways that we haven't experienced for some generations. What we're seeing played out in the news, what we're seeing played out in cities around us, what we're seeing played out on social media and hearts and attitudes of people, what we are seeing is the outworking of a dark, depraved generation. And except by the grace of God given to us in Christ, we would be still in that same darkness. We would still be in that same perverse, depraved place. So Paul says, you got to live pure. you gotta, you got to live blameless. And, and, and you say, man, pastor, how do we do that when there's just so much of it around us? Well, we go back. Paul says, God is working in you to do the right thing. You've got all the help you need. The Holy Spirit in fullness. Mature believers are responsible as Christians to live blameless and pure lives in this generation. Live in such a way that when we are accused, it is accused of righteousness and not of something that's commonplace. Then we pick up in verse number 15. And Paul says this, we go back, we'll, we'll read the first part and then finish it. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Watch this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. The third truth of application for us this morning is this. You and I as mature believers are responsible to live radiant in this dark world. To do so, we must be living pure and blameless. To live pure and blameless means don't get caught up in the, the sin nature and the common planing of mankind and sin nature. Let Jesus work his salvation through you. That makes you a light that shines in the dark world. A city on a hill, he said, cannot be hidden. Now is the time in our generation as has come for every generation, that the church must lead the way. That those people that are followers of Jesus Christ who know the way, the truth, and the life, it, it, it's time for us to, to step up. It's time for us to shine the light of Jesus because there's a lot of hopelessness out there. There is a lot of fear around us. There is a lot of deception. There is a lot of things going on that, that are, are released by Satan onto this earth right now for this moment. I told you a couple of weeks ago, two doors have been opened through this season. One is a door that Satan has been opened up to Satan to manipulate, to move, and to control, and to bring darkness, despair, and deception, and destruction. And another is a door that God has opened for the greatest revival that, that the earth may have ever seen and known. Where's that revival come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit? He's living in us. The door to revival is open. If revival is going to happen, 
It's going to be because we are the light that is shining hope and truth and life into a dark, depraved generation. Do you remember how freeing it was the moment you came to the reality that Jesus truly was the Son of God and you gave your heart to Him? Did life not look different? Did, did, did in that moment even, in the, the following days, did you not just feel a new sense of, of hope and life? Man, I did. And who needs that around us today? A lot of folks. A lot of people. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it, but they need to hear it from people who believe it. Whoa. And people who live it. Right? How many of you, maybe you... Uh, before you came to Christ, people were trying to reach out to you and witness to you, but uh, you know, if that's what Jesus looks like, I don't think I need any part of him because they're not any different than me. And I can do it without feeling guilty about it. They do it and they got to feel guilty all the time. Now they need, a, they need us to bring truth as we believe it. Do you believe the gospel changes people's lives? They need it. They need Jesus. And in this generation right now where we find ourselves, Jesus needs us. He needs the church. And then in verse number 16, in closing, Paul says this. Hold firmly to the message of life. Hold firmly to the message of life. So Paul has challenged us that as mature, responsible believers, because of what Jesus has done for us, we should live cheerful in this unhappy world. We should, as mature, responsible believers, live out our faith, live out what we know Jesus is doing in us and through us. That we're to live pure and blameless. And to do so, Paul says, hold to the message of life. That word hold to, it's actually in the, in the Greek, it, it's two words put together. It's a compound word. And the two words that come together for that one word, hold firmly, it's actually two words in English, hold firmly. That word, the two meanings are this. The, the first part of the word means distribute. Distribute. The second part of the word means possess. You know what Paul's instruction to us as mature, responsible believers in our generation is? Possess the message of life. Let it be your truth in this moment and distribute it. Give it to others who are hurting, who are without hope, who are without peace. 
hold on firmly to the message of life. My friends, that's our hope this morning. And my prayer for all of us, whether you're a believer this morning or whether you are not a believer, maybe you're, you're uncertain about eternity and, and God and Jesus and, and all. My prayer for any of us this morning is, is that we would hold to the message of life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the message of life is the message of Jesus. The message of life is this. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And he's coming again. And the word of God says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be sanctified. You will one day then be with him in eternity, glorified. He is your anchor and your hope in this generation. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord, Paul says, and be saved. For the rest of us that are followers of Christ, this is the moment in which the light of Jesus is desperately needed by the people around us. This is our moment to give people hope in Jesus.